Thank you for tuning in to the New Vision Podcast. We are in a new series called Tell Me About It. We're talking about stories of faith, faith that was moving, that tells a story, that makes us take steps forward and into action into the greatest story ever told, God's story. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, thank you guys for being here this morning. This is uh, week four of our Tell Me About It series. Um, last year, we took our family to California. We went and visited some friends of ours that have moved out there, and um, we spent a week just hanging out. And it was such an incredible week. We got to go and explore some things. And one day, as we were driving around, we thought, man, let's, let's take a walk up a mountain. And so we decided to uh, go up this mountain. It was called Mount, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but it's called Mount Rubido. We'll say it like that. Um, in that day, honestly, guys, it was hot. We really weren't thinking about hiking up a mountain um, in the morning, but we thought, man, this would just be kind of fun. How often do you get a, a chance to do this? So we stopped at the store. We grabbed some bottles of water. We thought that would be enough. We figured, you know, like 20 minutes we get to walk and we'd be at the top and we'd all have this great story to tell. And come to find out, the 20-minute walk that we thought we were going to begin was actually a 2.7-mile walk up to the top of the mountain. And now on the average, like if you walk with a good pace, it's about 20 minutes per mile if you walk. And that's just regular walking, not climbing up a mountain. But it was so much fun. We were cutting through, like there were little trails that you could go off the path, but it would get you back to the path. And we're going up and up and about um, as we were getting towards the top. Uh, there was a couple of benches kind of hanging out, and my mom just looked at us, and she said, all right, that's it for me. And she, she looked, and I was like, come on, mom, like, you can still make it. And she's like, nah, nah, I think I'm good. Like, I, I made it further than what I thought I would. And she sat down, and then around the corner comes Alexa. And Alexa's like, well, if Gams is sitting there, like, I, I'm done too. I'm tired. It's hot. And it was hot. But I think what happened was the longer we got, the further away it seemed like we were from the top. Even though we were getting closer, because we didn't know the path, we didn't know how many more turns it would be, that the heat was getting to us, the, the running out of water was getting to us. It seemed like we had less energy and we didn't have enough to make it. And so a couple of us stopped. Out of the five of us, two sat down, three of us kept going. And you know, I kept telling my mom, like, I feel like it's just around the corner, like we can make it. And she's like, no, I'm good. And about four minutes after that, we continued walking. It was like a turn and a half and we were at the top and we were so excited. We're taking pictures and videos and it's me, Mel and Jordan and we're all celebrating and we're taking pictures and we're posing at the top of this mountain. I want to show you Jordan, one of Jordan's poses from the top there. If you can see that, we have several of him just flexing. He was so excited about being at the top of the mountain. And man, I, I wish that, I, I think that we should all have more moments like this where we reach the top and, and we get there and we get to celebrate. And not only are we there, but we're there with people who care about us, that rooted for us along the way, and we're excited about being there. And we get that we did it feeling. But in order to get that, in order to have that, that means that we have to not only have the faith to just go, but we have to have the faith to keep going. Listen to this story. A time I felt like God was calling me to take a step of faith is when he was calling me back to school. But um, high school dropout, single mom, working full time, like it just wasn't in the cards for me. And also the fact that I had like trashed my GPA before so I would have to pay for school out of pocket. 
it just didn't seem like something that was realistic fast forward i don't know how long maybe a few weeks um after like i started feeling like i was pushing me in that direction um i remember being at work one day and at that time i worked in the emergency room as a emergency room tech i remember this lady walking to the bathroom and she was struggling a little bit so i just offered my assistance and help her help her to the restroom told her go ahead uh, when you're done pull the bell and i'll come back and help you to your room when she came back out she like she said the lord told me to tell you if you go for it he'll make a way for you okay random lady that i don't know that's in the bathroom talking to jesus if that's what y'all had a discussion about and this was already what he was working on my heart for okay so i took that into consideration also just the pulling that i had on my own heart and i started taking steps of faith i, I began to look for different avenues to help pay for college uh, that's when i found out about the scholarship for single parents i then applied for um, that scholarship but in the midst of applying for that scholarship i realized that was something i didn't qualify before because of my gpa but i still went on i felt like the lord continued just push me hey let's do it you never know what i can do you know and I ended up uh, receiving that scholarship and it paid for my first semester of school. That gave me the boost I needed to keep going. After that first semester of school, even just still paying for school was a struggle, but I, I had to trust God in my finances and just started to pay for school out of pocket. But after a while, to in order to do my best in school, I decided to lower my hours. So working part-time, paying for school, still being a single parent, having full-time bills, like but there was not a need that, was, that wasn't met by God. And right now, I'm less than a year away from graduating nursing school because I decided to take a, faith, take a step of faith, trust God, and He has always seen me through. See, as we begin to, to respond and step out in faith, we, we have to remember this, that um, the path to where we are going is just that. It's the path. It's not where we're going. It's not the place that God is taking us to. It's just simply how he's getting us there. And oftentimes that path will be easy. And we will know without a shadow of a doubt that this is exactly where God wants us to go. And other times that path will be extremely hard. And it'll be rough and it'll be frustrating and it will make you doubt God. It will make you doubt, did you hear God? Did you hear his voice? And you will want to give up somewhere along the lines. Ask Krishana, ask her about the times that she felt like she couldn't do it or didn't want to do it. And the first couple of steps were hard. And after the first couple of steps were taken, that the couple steps after that were hard. Don't just put your faith in the path, put your faith in the promise. See, because the path will get you there. We have to have faith that believes that God is going to get us there no matter what direction he's asking us to go, that he wants us to be there even more than we want to get there. We just have to keep taking one step and then another step and then another step. Even if it's a baby step, keep taking steps. My message this morning is titled, The Path is Not the Promise. The Path is not the promise. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you for your presence being in this place. God, I ask that as we spend these next few moments together 
in your word that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge us, that you would remind us that you are God and we are not, that you have things in control, that we have no idea of what's going on, but you are there and you are with us. So God, challenge each of us to continue to respond to you. You'd listen to your voice and have the courage and faith to take one more step. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Can you turn me down just a little bit on, on the platform? I feel like if I get excited, it's going to start ringing and I don't want that to happen. As we talk about the path and the promise, I think a lot of times it's easy for us to get confused. It's easy for me to believe that where I'm headed is now the exact promise that God ha- has given me. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, how that um, we need to be able to go in a direction without knowing the destination. But oftentimes as we respond, and we believe that God can do the impossible, as we get moving, we begin to kind of put our faith in right here in this moment and right now instead of into the promise. But they're not the same. The path is not the promise. The path will get you to the promise, but the two are not the same. And as I look through scriptures this week and praying about what God wanted to do and say to us today, uh, I believe that he led me to a great guy that understands this probably better than most and, and so this morning, I want to talk about Joseph. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to start, not in Genesis, we're going to get there in a minute, but we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 11. Remember, this series is about faith. This is about the, the hall of faith, the people that we can learn about that took risks for God and it paid off for them. Maybe not always in great things, but it always paid off in God things. And so here's what Hebrews has to say about Joseph. In verse 22 of chapter 11, it says, It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. One verse, chapter 11. There's some incredible stuff happening right here. He confidently at the end of his life believes that there is more. He believes that there is a promise that his path can get him to. And even after he's done, he believes the path will keep going to the promise. And as we learn more about Joseph, his path, his story all started with a dream. In Genesis chapter 37, he, he, um, he follows this dream and it, then it's not great after a while. The dream is perfect because he's getting worshiped by everyone. And then the, the dream leads him into a pit. And from a pit, it takes him to Potiphar. And from Potiphar, it takes him to prison. And then it takes him to the palace. See, the path took him to a place where God wanted him to be, but it wasn't, the path wasn't the place, the path wasn't the promise, it simply was the path to get him there. His path took him all over, and and the reason why we started with this verse is because I love his faith for what's next. I love that where he is from the palace, from this moment, he's simply saying, I believe in the future. I can look towards the promise, specifically the promised land. He's believing that God is going to take the people from Egypt and lead them into the promise. That goes all the way back to Abraham. Where he was on his path wasn't the promise, but he had faith that the path would get him there. And when I think about that, I'm like, well, yeah, well, if I'm in the palace, my faith would be easy, right? Like, all right, God, I'm, I'm in the palace. I can believe for whatever. But I, I don't believe that the faith that he had in that moment was what led him to believing in the future. I believe this, that the faith that was formed in the pit and in the prison is the faith that he got to live out in the palace. You see, sometimes we believe that, that the faith in the palace is what's going to help us get to the promised land, but it's the faith that's birthed in the pit is what gets us to the palace. 
See, it's not just in the great moments, the high moments, the, the I made it here moments. No, 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 no. It's the faith to believe that those moments can happen even when the path doesn't make sense, even when you're stuck in the pit or when you're stuck in the prison. And so this morning, I want to give you three things that I believe helped Joseph, helped him to realize that he could make it, that the path was not the promise, that God was going to take him to the promise no matter what the path looked like. He'll get us there. Joseph's story in Genesis 37. You can flip back there. We're going to hit a couple of verses here momentarily. But we begin to, we are introduced to Joseph when he's 17 years old. The Bible lets us know that he is the youngest in his family and he is also the favorite in the family. And we know that he's the favorite because we're told that. And we're also told that he was given a gift that nobody else got. And if you have siblings in your family, you know that when mom or dad shows a little bit extra special attention to one person in the family, most of us aren't celebrating that one person. We want to punch that one person. And so we see that Joseph not only is the favorite, but we're told at the beginning of his story that he's also a tattletale. He's willing to tell on his brothers for not doing the right thing. Again, things that in most of our families get you punched for when mom and dad aren't around, not hugged for when mom and dad aren't around. So we see already there's some, there's some tension here built up. He's not winning any points when he begins to share his dream. He tells them all one day that, hey, I believe I got this dream from God. Not just one dream, but let me tell you both of my dreams, because in both of my dreams, I believe that God was putting me up in front of all of you, and you were all bowing down to me. Again, he's not earning points with his family members here. I think he's just creating more animosity, more, more things right here. And so he tells them all this, and everyone is frustrated. They leave, and then his brothers go off to do their thing. His dad says, hey, I need you to go check on them for me. Can you go see how they're doing? And that's where we're going to pick up the story. He goes to look for them, and he doesn't find them, but he's told that they're, they're in another spot. And so he's on his way, and here's where we're going to start in verse 20. His brothers see him coming, and this is the conversation they have. Now then, come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we'll say, a wild beast must have devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued, them out, rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit that's in the wilderness, but don't lay any hands on him. Reuben was doing this that he might rescue them out of their hands and restore him to the father. As Joseph gets closer, I imagine he's probably happy to see his brothers. He didn't hear any of this conversation. So when he gets to them, they grab him. They strip off his, his coat that his father had given him. They take that off of him. That's the symbol of him being the favorite, of having the favor of his father. And they throw him into the pit. The pit is crucial for all of us. How we respond in the pit is critical. Joseph had choices to make. We all have choices to make. I believe the first thing that we have to figure out when it comes to, to re realizing that the path is not the promise, I just simply want to pose the question to you, how's your heart in this? When you find yourself in the pit, what's the posture that your heart takes? How do you feel about being in the pit all alone by yourself? I know how I felt. You see, about 13 years ago, my wife and I 
found out that we were going to have a baby. And this was after more than a year of, of unsuccessfully trying to start a family, of dealing with infertility. And, and we go to the doctor at about, I think, what is it, 20 weeks you get to find out? 16 weeks? So we go. It's 16 weeks. We get to go and find out what we're having. We're in the doctor's office. They're doing the ultrasound. They tell us we're going to have a girl. I immediately start crying. That girl softened my heart from day one, from the moment that we found out it was her. Like, my heart just began to melt and melt and melt. We find out that we're having a girl. We're so excited. My parents are there. We're going to go celebrate. They're going to take us shopping. We're going to pick out her first outfit. We're going to go eat. Afterwards, we go. We have to see our doctor right afterwards. So we're waiting in the room, and we're just hanging out, super excited. Well, then a, a doctor comes in that we didn't know. We'd never seen her before. We, our regular doctor wasn't there. And, and so she comes in, and she says, well, there's a problem. And in that moment, all of the air in the room escaped. I don't know if I was holding my breath, but I think I felt like I was holding my breath. I feel like in, in, in that moment, I couldn't breathe, and I didn't know how to respond. And, and she said, well, what we do know is there are plenty of people that live with one kidney. It's not that big a deal. And as a first-time almost parent, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I felt like I had just been sucker punched and that there was no good reason. There was no good answer. There was nothing that I could come up with to make sense of what was going on. And she proceeded to tell us that the ultrasound showed that Alexa only had a kidney forming on one side of her body, but on the other side, there was nothing being formed. There was something wrong. I was devastated. We went from one of the highest highs to one of the lowest lows. It felt like some kind of punishment from God. It felt like um, I had done something wrong, and this was how he was taking it out on me, and I felt so frustrated and so powerless to do anything in that moment. I would have traded places with my little girl. I would have done anything I could that this wouldn't happen to her and happen to me, but I couldn't do that. There were questions. Why us? Why my baby? I was so angry with God. You see, when we're in the pit, we have to figure out the posture that we're going to take in the pit. We have to figure out who gets the blame in the pit. We have to figure out the attitude that we're going to have while we're there because everybody could be to blame for your situation, just like they were for mine. That I can be the victim in this moment. I can tell everyone around me how I was done wrong and how God was against me and how people were against me and how I just tried everything, but it's just nothing. It's no, and I can whine and I complain over and over while I'm in the pit. That's one thing that I could do. I could tell everyone that it's not fair. I could tell everyone how I don't deserve and you don't deserve and we don't deserve to be in this place. But here's the thing. You can be a victim or the victor but you can't be them at the same time. Your posture in the pit will determine how you get out of the pit. So I begin to try to figure out how do I get out of this? I didn't have the right posture at first. I was here. You see, I can remember I could have chosen. I think this is what Joseph did. Maybe Joseph figured out that this maybe wasn't going to be the end for him. You see, some of us can, can get our posture to change and we can move from being the victim to the victor by remembering that this is only a spot, that we need to figure out how to survive in this moment. The enemy will hope to make you think that this is where it's ending, but it's not. It's just where you happen to be right now. If you survive, if you look for God, if you look for salvation, there will be a way out of the pit. 
want to remind you of the verses that we read. The pit was supposed to be the grave for Joseph. His brothers intended to kill him and throw him in the pit. He was supposed to be dead in the pit, but God had already brought salvation through Reuben, and he was not dead in the pit. He was alive in the pit. And ultimately, we have to figure out how do we follow God while we're in the pit so that we can get through it and come out of the pit. It's all about our posture. Will you be the victim or the victor? You can't be them at the same time. I believe that our posture helps us to see that we can indeed get out. Joseph gets out of the pit. But it's not from salvation. It's about selfishness. His brothers decide instead of killing him that they're going to sell him. And so they sell him to some Ishmaelite traders. And and they in turn sell him to Potiphar, who's a captain of the guard for Pharaoh. And he makes him a slave. And Joseph is, is now serving Potiphar day in, day out. And, and he begins to, to do things for Potiphar. And the Bible tells us that Potiphar only had to worry about like maybe what he was going to eat. That Joseph took care of everything else because God was with him. And God had shown him favor and he was doing incredible things. And during this time, Potiphar's wife begins to look at Joseph. And the Bible tells us that Joseph was fine. And she noticed. And she also probably noticed that there was something different about this guy. And she began to entice him. Come sleep with me. Come on, just be with me one time. One time. Come on, no one's going to know. We can take care of this. And Joseph continued to say, no, no, I can't. Why would you ask me to do this? I can't do this. I can't dishonor my master. I can't do that. He had integrity in the moment. He chose the right thing in the moment. And you want to know where that got him? Straight to prison. Because when she couldn't have him, she decided that no one else would. And so she told her husband that he tried to rape me. He tried to do these things to me. And Potiphar believed her, and he throws him in prison. He chose to honor his master, and the things he got was handcuffs and a cell. And for years of Joseph's life, he spent living either as a slave or as a prisoner. Think about that. Think think about that as as a teenager. You go from having dreams of something incredible going on in your life. You think that you've got things figured out. You're already the favorite. You got all this cool stuff. You got a dream from God, and suddenly you find yourself years serving other people and locked in a cell with no freedom. I can't imagine what it must have felt like to have had a dream that has spun out of control into a nightmare, to wake up and not be able to control what you do, where you do or how you do anything. And during this moment in, in Joseph's life, during this path that he's on, I believe he, he helps us to see another thing that, that we need, and we need to be reminded that it's not time to sit down yet, that it might be hot outside. You might not feel like you can make it to the top, but don't let the bench entice you to sit down. Don't let it keep you from taking one more step. Don't let the circumstances around you, you may be a few more steps away from your freedom. You may be a few more steps towards where God wants you to go, but you'll never realize it if you sit down and stop. Winston Churchill said it best, said it so eloquently. He just said, never, 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 never give up. Perseverance is the key for us. 
Perseverance is what I learn as I look at Joseph's life of years of being a prisoner, years of, of being a slave, that he persevered through all of it. See, perseverance is about getting knocked down five times, but choosing to get back up six times. It's about taking one more step, having the grit and the resolve that where you are right now is not going to be the end, that there will be one more step that you take. You'll get a little bit further. You'll do one more thing. And I believe that the reason that Joseph was able to do this is found in chapter 39. As we look at Joseph's story of being in the prison and being a slave, we notice this one phrase is repeated four different times. God was with Joseph. Over and over in one chapter, we see God was with Joseph. And I love, let me show you what it says in verse 21 of chapter 39. Joseph is in prison. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. He was with him in prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite in the, with the prison warden. You see, while we're in the prison, the enemy hopes to convince you that there is no hope for you any longer, that there is no one coming for you that can release you. There is no one that cares that you are trapped in the prison, that you are all alone. There is no one at all. You are simply stuck right where you are. Everything is against you. For months, I felt this very thing. After hearing about my daughter, they, they told us different times, different things. There were, there were things that they weren't sure. Well, maybe she's got two kidneys on one side and one on another side. And, and maybe she's got one on this side and none on this side and over and over. And then people started talking about surgery. I just kept imagining the birth of my daughter being whisked away to have surgery. I couldn't fathom it. And I was so frustrated. I was, I was so angry. I wasn't holding on to God in the next coming, coming months after we found this news out. I was holding on to the anger that I had inside. I was holding on to the frustration and the pain more than I was holding on to God because I needed a why to the what that was going on in my life. I needed to know why God was allowing this. I needed to know why he had left us. We had tons of doctor's appointments. Mel is an expert at getting ultrasounds. We went to so many different ones, level twos and level threes. And we, at one time, we were going to the hospital for another appointment. And I remember pulling in and I just remember this feeling, this thought that said, do you trust me? And instinctively, I said, of course I do. And then I heard it again. Do you trust me? And something happened in those next few moments that I can't really explain. In those next few moments, God and I had a heart to heart. I told him that I didn't trust him. I was so frustrated and angry and hurt that I couldn't understand why this was going on. And as I let all of that out, something happened. And I felt this peace wash over me almost instantaneously. And I felt reassured that God had things, even if I didn't. That he had things in control, even if I didn't. And as this was happening, as tears were running down my face, I said, okay, God, and I'll trust you with this. I want to fix it and I can't fix it. And so I will trust you in this moment that you can take care of this. 
I told him that even if he didn't heal my daughter, that I would still love him and I would still serve him. In that moment, I, I had a choice to make. My posture changed. I went from being a victim and I began to walk in being a victor. My faith changed from an only if faith to an even if faith. You see, only if faith says, God, I'll follow you only if you do what I ask you to do or when I want you to do something. But an even if faith says, God, even if you don't do what I'm asking you, you're still good and you're still God and I'll still trust you and I'll still believe you. And even if I don't understand, I'll still serve you with all of my life. And even if I don't get the answer that I'm praying for, I will still serve you the rest of my life. It was a huge moment. And right as this moment is wrapping up, I got a text message from my pastor and he said he was on his way to the hospital. Let me know if you need anything. And all of the lies that we were in this by ourselves that we didn't understand began to fall by the wayside. I began to get a couple other text messages, and, and then it dawned on me that God had placed us at the place where, we, where I worked, the church where I was at. And while we were going through this, it wasn't just us praying about this. It wasn't just us going through it, that it was staff members praying for us and their families praying for us and people who didn't know praying for us. And I realized in the moment that God was with us and the favor of God, even when I didn't have my coat on, even when I didn't feel like I was his favorite, the favor in that moment was that he was with me and he wasn't letting us go through this alone. Can I encourage you this morning that you are not in this alone? Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. And at the beginning of chapter 12, it tells us that there is a great cloud of witnesses watching our lives unfold. And all of these great names of faith are looking at you and they're cheering for you. And they're saying, look, I got beat. I got stoned. Someone fed me to a lion, but we made it. We still got what God did. We still did incredible things. And if I can make it, so can you. You are not alone in this. You are not alone on the path. We have to remember that the path is not the promise. And just because right now you don't feel like you have your coat of favor on, that doesn't mean that you still don't have favor. Joseph was in prison. He no longer had his coat, but he still had favor. You see, favor isn't about getting the best all the time, but in this moment, it was about being preserved and protected. Joseph was still in prison, but he still had favor. There was still a promise. He was still on the path, and God was faithful and present. So take another step. If you feel like you're trapped in the prison, let's just take another step. God is still with you. He has never left you. The last thing that I believe that helped Joseph, that continues to, to work itself into my life over and over again, is this word perspective. See, because what has my attention determines my direction. We've talked about that in the first few weeks that we were here. What has your attention? Where are your eyes looking? Because I will almost guarantee you that what your eyes are focused on, your heart is focused on, and your prayers are focused on, and maybe, just maybe, you're looking at the wrong thing. Maybe, just maybe, you're looking at the situation because when we lose perspective, we can lose faith in God and where he's taking us and what he's promised and what we believe about him. You see, what I was experiencing is I was looking only at the circumstances. I was looking only at the pain that I was in, and I'll be honest, it was overwhelming. And the pain that I was feeling, the emotions that I had, and we all feel this at times, sometimes it convinces us that what we know is true isn't true. And we lose our perspective we feel like we're stuck, that we'll always be here, we'll always be this person. 
when we focus more on the path than the promise, or, or better yet, the promise giver, we can feel like we'll never make it. We can feel like um, the path is out of our reach, but the path is not the promise. The path takes us there. It's God who has the promise in his hand, and he wants to get you there. He will always be directing you. He will always be redirecting you. He will always be with you on the path, but the path is not the promise. I want to help you with your perspective this morning. And something that's helped me in, in mine, I want to share that with you, and maybe this will help you a little bit. There are two things that have changed in my life. Then as my posture began to change, and as I began to take one step after another, these other two things began to change in my life. The way I prayed changed. And how I prayed, I pray that God heals my daughter. Every chance I get, every doctor's appointment. But as I pray that prayer, I remind him that I trust him. And even if he doesn't come through, he's still God. Even if he doesn't heal the way I expect, he's still God. I remind myself in these times of prayer that God is bigger than me and what I can't do, he can do. And these are simple things that if you've been in church more than once, you've probably heard this, but sometimes it doesn't sink into who we are until we're sitting in the pit. And until we change the posture of our heart, until we've taken a couple of extra steps, in this moment, man, my prayer began to change. I began to realize how big God was. And my praise began to change. I didn't just spend time telling God how great he was when we got good reports. I spent time praising God at every report. The reports that said, hey, you're good. Don't come back for a year. The other, pre, the other reports that said, uh, we're a little concerned. It didn't matter what the report said. I praise God just the same. And that's what changes. That's what helped me to change my perspective. At every doctor's appointment, I'm so excited if they say, I don't have to worry. It's not the same thing. I'm waiting for the day, hoping for the day, praying for the day that we get there and they say, um, this kidney showed up and we don't know where that kidney came from. I'm waiting for that. But even if that never comes, at every opportunity, I'm going to choose to look back and see God's faithfulness. I'm going to choose to look back and realize that the path he put me on, that he's been with me the whole time. And it helps my perspective so I can take another step, knowing that as much as I love my daughter, it pales in comparison to the amount of love that Jesus has for her. And as I begin to look at God correctly, as I begin to look at him with all of my heart, it helps put my problems in his shadow because he is always bigger. He is always greater. And it puts them right in the space where they need to be because they are small compared to my big God. There was nothing that my God cannot do. And I need to remember to look at him so that everything falls in line and looks like it's exactly what it is, and that's smaller than him. Joseph had at least 13 years of perspective before he hit the palace. Many, many years more of perspective of seeing God's favor, of seeing dreams come into reality over and over before he makes this statement in chapter 50. This morning, Joseph reminds us the perspective that we have to have. The perspective that we need to remind ourselves in verse 20, he says this to his brothers, that you intended to harm me. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. 
He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. In this moment, Joseph doesn't choose to respond in anger, in bitterness, in revenge or rage. All of that would be justified, but he chose to look back and see what God had been doing all along. He had perspective. He chose to see that the path is not the promise, that he was already living into where God had called him to be. And God put him there not just for himself, but he put him there for other people. That because he had perseverance, because he changed his heart posture, that because he had the right perspective, God was able to use him to impact an entire nation, to actually make sure that the promise that God gave Abraham was able to happen into the promised land. Here's what I know this morning as we finish up. God isn't done. He's not done with you. He's not done with me. Because you're still here. And so is God. That you're still here. And so is God. I want to remind you that the pit was supposed to be your grave. The pit was supposed to kill you. And the temptation that the enemy threw at you was supposed to wreck the rest of your life. And the prison that he tried to put you in was supposed to keep you trapped and bound and derail you and lock up your destiny. But you are still here. And so is God. That God can take you on the path that you're on and get you to where he told you that you're always going to be. The path is not the promise. Jesus is the promise. Jesus is the promise and we can count on him doing exactly what he said that he would do because he's not a man that he would lie he doesn't change his mind he hasn't looked at you in your situation and thought differently no 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 that when he speaks he acts and when he promises he fulfills that's who Jesus is Philippians tells us that we can be confident confident that whatever God starts he will finish that he is faithful to complete the very things that he started in each and every one of our lives Joseph thought that the promise was a place, but it was a person. It was Jesus. It was Jesus ultimately. He thought it was the promised land, but the real promise that was made to Abraham wasn't just the land. It wasn't the people. It was the person of Jesus Christ, the person who brings hope, the person who brings something for each and every one of us, who won't leave us or forsake us, who will walk with us in the valley of the shadow of death, who will take every step of the way with us and lead us and guide us if we will just keep going, if we will put our faith and trust in him this morning. Can we change our posture? Can we, can we hold on a little bit longer? This morning, I believe that some of you need to get back up. You've allowed life to knock you down. You've allowed life to, to put you in a pit. You've allowed yourself to be locked in a prison that Jesus is standing there with the door open saying, just take my hand and let's go. Can you take a step again? Can you respond to what he's saying? Can you trust him? Can you look back and get perspective and see that he's been with you this whole time? As we do that, as we change, as we allow God to do something in our hearts and our lives, it spreads to those around us. Salvation wasn't just for Joseph. It wasn't just for his family. It was for nations. All because his posture, because he persevered, because he had the perspective. He knew the right way to look at God. And we can become that for other people. We can be small containers of hope that people get to see. That as we're walking out our path, we get to bump into other people on theirs and let them see that God has been with us. It's not a smooth path. It's not an easy path. But the simple fact that he's walking with us makes it the right path. It's not the promise. God's willing to get me to the promise. It's just the path. 
I can know that he's willing to walk with me. Let's be a community of believers that does that, that grabs people by the hand, that offers them the hope that we have in Jesus. Close your eyes with me this morning. This morning, I'm going to ask, just like I do every other week, do you need Jesus this morning? Do you need a relationship with him that as we've been talking about this, your life feels like the pit and you feel like you're all alone, but this morning you don't have to be alone if you would just ask for Jesus. And if you need him in your life this morning, if you say, I need a relationship with him, just raise your hand this morning. We want to pray with you. Is there anyone in the room that you need Jesus this morning? your heart? How's your posture? Have you been feeling like giving up lately? Have you been feeling like God is no longer on your side? Have you been feeling alone? Have you been feeling like what you're in right now is bigger than God? As this next song, as this next worship song is sung, this is your time to respond to God. Let him know right where you are. This moment, your posture can change. Your perspective can change. You can get back up this morning. Allow God to minister to you during this song. Our prayer is that this message impacted you. We would love to hear your story and to have you partner with us financially as we work to spread the life-changing story of Jesus. You can do this at newvisiongrandview.com.